What makes you cry? You know, we cry when we're sad. Sometimes we cry when we're happy. Sometimes we cry when we're stressed. Sometimes we cry when we're angry. And crying is just a healthy expression of emotions. Tears actually contain a pain reliever. So that's why a natural pain reliever. So that's why some people, when they have a cry, feel better afterwards. Now this won't surprise you, but studies show that women cry more than men. On average, women cry about 50 times a year. Men cry about 10 times a year. So it's really the difference between about once a week and once a month or so. And I, I'm honestly not so sure that uh, men don't get the short end of the stick on this one because expressing your emotions in an appropriate way is actually healthy for us. It took me a lot of years to figure that out and some counseling sessions to figure that out too. So why do men cry less? Well, it could be related to what's acceptable socially. It could be our makeup. There could be a number of reasons. Guys, have you ever gone to a chick flick with your wife or girlfriend? Hopefully you were there with them. And um, something came along, a scene came up, and it moved you. You felt some emotion, and you felt like crying. But you were doing everything you could to hold it back, right? I mean, because you cannot cry at a chick flick. You just, you just can't go there, right? Um, I was at a chick flick uh, some time ago with my wife, and um, I didn't know going into the movie it was a chick flick, but when we got done and we stood up to leave and we were walking out with other people, I leaned over and I whispered to my wife, stay really close to me. I want people to know that I'm with you at this movie. So I want to read you something from the Bible. This is a book called Nehemiah. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Who is crying? Why are they crying? And what are they crying about? And it says they wept for days. Well, the person crying or weeping is a man named Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer to the king, king of Persia. Now, cupbearer, if you're not familiar with what that means, is basically what he did was he would eat the king's food and he would drink the king's wine before the king just to make sure no one had poisoned it to try to kill the king. It was actually a pretty good job if you think about it. Man, you got the best food, the best drink in the land, you know, and as long as the approval ratings weren't down for the king, you're in pretty good shape, you know. And uh, so it was a pretty good job to have if you think about it. That's what a cupbearer did. How, did. However, a cupbearer also, if you think about it, had to be really trusted by the king. And so he not only gained the king's confidence, often um, in, they would gain the king's respect. Some of those cupbearers actually became trusted advisors to the king. 
Nehemiah, I think, was one of those. Now, Nehemiah was Jewish, but he was in the land of Persia. Seems kind of strange. This Jewish guy was a cupbearer for a Persian king. But here's how it happened. About 100 years uh, earlier, the land of Israel, which was Nehemiah's homeland, had been invaded. It had been captured. It had been overrun. And Israel was lying in ruins and had been for 100 years. And Nehemiah heard about it. And it stirred him so emotionally, thinking, a hundred years have gone by, and my homeland, the city of Jerusalem, still lies in ruins. The walls had not even been rebuilt. And, you know, there was no one to motivate the people, to mobilize the people, to gather resources, to develop a plan so that they could rebuild. They needed a leader. Enter Nehemiah. He couldn't stand the thought of his homeland lying in ruins where not only was the city lying in ruins, but the walls hadn't even been rebuilt. He lost sleep over it. And so he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted for days and days. Do you feel his passion for this? Do you understand how deeply this affected Nehemiah, now in order for change to happen, in order for something to change for the better, it always starts with vision and passion. The passion is often not only for how bad things are and what needs to change, but a vision for what could be so much more, what could be much better. Many years ago, there was a core group of people in our church who realizes we need to do more to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. We had a nice church, but we weren't connecting with those who were not going to church. We wanted them to know and experience what we had, what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus, to know that your sins are forgiven, to have a purpose for living this life, and having the promise that you will spend eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And we knew we had to make some changes. We couldn't stand the thought of our friends and our family who were far from God, not knowing how Jesus can change your life because of how he had changed our lives. He kept some of us awake at night. We shed some tears over that. We prayed. We fasted. Implementing that vision was going to be a challenge. But we finally got to the point where we said, we have to do this or at least try. In fact, we said we would rather try and fail than not try at all. And we felt very deeply about that. So we began to change almost everything about our church. First on the inside and eventually with God's help on the outside too. We were able to relocate. We were able to build this building. Why? Because our vision was to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. Jesus had done whatever it took to reach out to us. He went to the cross for us. How could we not do that? How could we not share that with our family and with our friends? Harder than we could imagine? Yes, but worth it. So worth it. What makes it worth it? is when you hear a story. When you hear a story of someone's life who is different. When you hear a story like 
Eric and Bethany's. Watch this. My name is Eric. And I'm Bethany, and we've been attending the Ridge for about five years. One of the most impactful uh, series that we've experienced at the Ridge uh, was a few years back called Redeemed. And that was significant because um, we both had some things uh, from the past that we were, um, that we had buried. Um, and so that series really gave us permission to open up to one another, open up to God, and, and help us realize that everybody is forgiven. I, I think that that series really stuck out to us is because like we just realized that nobody is too far gone and it, even like saying that I might have done some things in the past but nothing has ever been too much where God can't forgive me. I know that when I show up every day I'm going to be greeted in a pleasant way and that in some way, shape or form someone's going to be uh, praying over me or someone that I know whether it's just in the message or if you go and talk to someone in private and just asking for a little bit of encouragement or support. You know, there are always, someone's always praying over you here. So after attending the Ridge for around a year or so, uh, we invited some good friends of ours to um, come and just have one you know, Sunday morning with us at the Ridge, and just, just to try it out. After that Sunday, they fell in love with the church just as much as we did, and they've decided to come, and they've been here ever since. After they had started coming regularly, um, unbeknownst to us, they got plugged into a life group and they've been going for a little while and then they ended up inviting us into the life group. So the whole thing kind of came full circle and uh, this life group is incredibly special to us. So it really, it really worked out well that we said, hey, come check us out. <laughs> I think really it's helped us. Um, we've had a little bit of ups and downs in our relationship and. The small group has really, it's all couples, so it's been a way for us to talk about our relationship, it's been a way for us to talk about parenting, we all have kids, and so it's just been a way that we can grow as like a family and open up and tell our, our truths. Having young kids has really opened up our eyes and us both not growing up in the church, this has been a really neat place to become connected and give us something that we didn't have ourselves, but something that we can give our kids to help them learn about Jesus at a young age and help them just grow in that following. Yeah. yeah. Having our kids grow up in a place like this where, you know, our youngest can say, you know, a few dozen words, but one of them's amen. You know, and that's that's one of my favorite things about this place is how they just wrap their arms around you as a family, but also as us as a you know, as a couple. You know, if we didn't have Christ in the middle of our marriage, um, you know, the storms that we've been asked to weather, I don't know where that would be without, um, without Jesus and the rich. Yeah, I love to hear stories like that. Back to Nehemiah. He couldn't stand the thought of the walls of Jerusalem, his homeland lying in ruins. So once the passion and vision were burning so hot in his heart that he had to do something about it, he took action. That's what leaders do. And we see him do four things to accomplish that vision. Um, leaders will do these things in almost every situation. 
when they feel God has called them to a vision. And by the way, these four things we're going to look at are applicable to your life when you're trying to accomplish something in life, whether at work, um, something you're trying to lead, something you're passionate about, maybe as a volunteer, even as a parent. So let's look at these, first, these principles. The first one is this. He prayed. Now, we read that um, Nehemiah 1.4 already. Let me back up and set some context for you and show you what his prayer was. Here's Nehemiah 1.3. They said to me, me being Nehemiah, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And now verse 11. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So he's going to go ask the king's permission to return to Jerusalem, his homeland, to lead the rebuilding of the walls. So he prays and he prays, God, give me favor in the eyes of the king, and I pray that he'll be kind to me. Now we as a church have been praying, God, show us what is next. And we sense God saying, continue to do whatever it takes to reach your community for Christ. But... I am expanding the definition of community. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Here's the next thing Nehemiah does. Leaders do this. He sacrifices. Remember we said he was the cupbearer for the king? Translated, he had a great life. He had all the luxuries that living in the king's palace in the Persian Empire afforded. He probably had a lake cottage for the summer and a home on the beach in the winter. And yes, Persia had beaches too. He also had the ear of the king. But he didn't have any responsibility in making all those crucial decisions. Those were on the king. I mean, you talk about the perfect job, right? He's an advisor. You give your opinion and you eat good food. Assuming no one tries to poison the king... He had the ultimate job in the empire, but he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand hearing that Jerusalem was in ruins. He had to do something about it. And so he was willing to give up. He was willing to sacrifice what he had because he felt called by God to do whatever it took to see Jerusalem restored. No vision is accomplished without sacrifice sometimes incredible sacrifice we began a financial project in 2009 that we called imagine a church and we raised the funds to build this building where we are today because we wanted to do whatever it would take to reach our community for christ in ridgers ridgers sitting around you today made that sacrifice they made that possible to those of you who are part of that, let me just pause and say one more time, thank you. Here are some of the results of your sacrifice and God's faithfulness. Since we moved into this building, we baptized over 300 people. 
But that just begins to tell the story of the sacrifice that Ridgers have made. We now have 715 in life groups. That's those life groups, those small groups are where we build relationships, where we learn more about the Bible, where we pray for and with each other, where we grow in our relationship with Jesus. When we moved into this building, we had 175 people in groups, 715 today though. We have 931 people who serve by volunteering here at the Ridge. And we have people who serve going into our community. Ridgers have served in our community a total of 18,240 hours in the last three years. Ridgers have done whatever it takes. And we celebrate that because of God's faithfulness, because of the willingness of Ridgers to do whatever it takes. We've seen growth in a number of areas, including the ones I've mentioned. But to sit back and enjoy that, but then do nothing more that's just unacceptable that's not an option there are still too many people who are far from God so it's time for us once again to look beyond ourselves so we can point people to Jesus on a Sunday morning our campus is full in the kids spaces what a better way to introduce families to our church than through our kids' programs, right? We don't have enough of the right kinds of rooms. Throughout the week, our campus is vibrant with youth ministries and with life groups that meet. We don't have the right kinds of spaces for those groups to meet. So what about the future? And it's not about our future. It's about their future. Our church isn't about us. And we have actually say that unapologetically it's about our friends and it's about our family that we want to point to Jesus so they can experience what we have experienced people matter our friends who don't know Jesus matter eternity hangs in the balance and that's what's at stake our leadership team will be just as committed to our vision and values in the future. And I couldn't be more excited about our future as a church because I know our leadership team will continue to lead the way in doing whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. But, but we see this vision growing, which it should. Not only do we want to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ, we want to look beyond ourselves. We want to see how God has led us to the point where we can make an impact beyond our community. You know, we now have many people who attend from neighboring counties. And they will make the trip, maybe traveling 20 to 30 minutes to attend here. But what about their friends who don't attend church? They may not be willing to make that trip. So we're going to continue to do whatever it takes. And as we do that, it appears that God is redefining for us what the word community means in our vision. When we talk about doing whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ, that community is expanding. We need to begin preparing now for how God may be leading us in the future. Because we want the number of people who haven't experienced the good news about Jesus to decrease, not only in our community, but in every community around us. That may be a few years down the road, but now is the time to position ourselves, which we're doing through for their future. A third thing 
that we see that Nehemiah did, that leaders do, is this. He asked for resources. Let me read it to you. This is Nehemiah 2, verses 7 and 8. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters to address the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter to address Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Practically speaking, Nehemiah needed resources to accomplish the vision God had given him. God uses the resources of people to accomplish his purpose. Now, he doesn't need to do that. He owns it all. So why does he? Because he's inviting us to be part of what he is doing in our world. He wants us to be able to invest in something that matters for eternity, the lives of people. We need that, don't we? Because we all tend to gravitate to holding on so tightly to what we have. But it makes no sense when you consider that it's all just temporary. We're going to leave it all behind. And God is giving us the opportunity to invest our resources in something that's meaningful and something that's lasting. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about how the resources for, for their future can make a difference. And you know, I'm actually in a pretty unique position this time. Because what we're talking about really has no direct benefit to me. It's all about the vision and future of the church. And with my retirement coming up in a couple years, I don't have an ulterior motive. So I can challenge you to get behind the vision of the ridge in the weeks to come without anybody questioning my motive. My motive is simply to encourage you to be part of what God is doing here at the ridge. And finally, one other thing that we see that Nehemiah did was this. He overcame resistance. And leaders have to overcome resistance when they're moving forward with the vision. If you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, you know that his vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was met with resistance over and over and over and over again. Here's one example for you. It's in Nehemiah 2.10. It says this, But when Sambala, the Horoni, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. And you'll hear those names again. Every time that we have taken a significant step to move forward with our vision to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ, it has been met with obstacles to overcome without exception. I don't like it. I never have. However, it always puts me in a position to trust God. It keeps us praying. It tests our resolve to do whatever it takes. And it tends to galvanize us as a church to our vision. But here's why we do it. Here's why we keep moving forward with our vision. When you realize that you're part of something that God is doing in our world, there's nothing like it. 
Imagine being part of something that's bigger than yourself. Imagine being part of something that you know only God can do. Imagine seeing your friend or your family member going to church regularly, being baptized, bringing their kids to Ridge Kids, seeing them join a small group. Imagine knowing that you have been used by God to change someone else's life for eternity. That's who we strive to be as a church. And these next two years through For Their Future is going to be absolutely critical for us to do that. So let me challenge you with this. Are you willing to do for others what someone has done for you? We're here today. We experience what we experience because some Ridger many years ago said, sign me up, I'll do whatever it takes. Adam's going to tell you more about that, but before he does, I'm going to ask you to consider praying a very simple, a very short prayer throughout for their future. And that prayer simply is this, God, what would you have me to do? God, what would you have me to do? And your next step is to come to vision night this Thursday or this Friday. 